if a day with the Lord is as a thousand years and you think about it, God created heaven and earth in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. There's been 6,000 years of human history from Adam to today. And the seventh thousand year period will begin soon. And that's the Sabbath or the day of the Lord. All I could see was this light coming in. The Holy Spirit went. I have never been the same since then. That was it. I'm done. I was born again. Welcome to the Weird Christian Podcast. I am your host, Samuel Delgado, and this is episode 57. I interview Scott Mitchell of Bible Mysteries Podcast. We get into a little bit of everything in this episode, including end times, rapture, agenda 2030, and we even get into some conspiracy theories like Pizzagate. So with no further ado, let's get weird. Welcome back to the show, man. I'm really, really glad to have you back on. Well, I am glad to be here. I was uh, I was thrilled to hear from you and uh, always excited to be a part of the Weird Christian Podcast. Right on. Cool. Um, so why don't you start just by telling, uh, you know, kind of introduce who you are and tell us a little bit about Bible Mysteries Podcast. You bet. Well, my name is Scott Mitchell and Bible Mysteries Podcast. I started almost three years ago. We're in our third season now, and um, I think we're 81 episodes in and uh, probably uh, I've already got another three or four in the can. So we'll be releasing those. Each, usually each Monday, we try to target Monday. Zena and I, my co-host, uh, the Warrior Princess. Uh, so we uh, we try to strive to get them out on Monday. Uh, lately, we've been talking about uh, the dispensation of grace. The last four episodes was a four-part series. But come Monday, we're going to be talking about the Great Reset. So we're going to get back mm-hmm. into more controversial uh, conspiracy-type things. Uh, but we're our aim is to talk about the things in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know. So we, yeah. we ask the question, are you ready to take the red pill? Because we feel like uh, the Bible uh, speaks a lot about these times and these days, and we're fast approaching what I believe might be the last days. Mm. So we're, our aim is to show as many people as possible uh, that there's an answer in the scripture for these things uh, and that there's a hope and that that hope is in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I love listening because, uh, you know, for someone like me, um, I've gotten into conspiracy theories myself and usually the sources for those are secular sources. And so you're, you're, you're getting some, some truth that you're not going to hear maybe on, on any other platform, but you're not right. filtering that through a biblical world lens. And what you do on the show is you, you introduce it and then you, and then you bring, always bring it back to scripture and talk about how, you know, how we see those things and what scripture says about those things. It's really, really pretty neat. Um, yeah, that's our hope is that we, you know, cause I noticed that, um, people that from the political spectrum, and even in some cases, the Christian perspective, um, are, have a better awareness of what's going on and they can see through the lies of the, the controlled media or whatever the news um even they seem to think that there's a political solution or maybe they see the spiritual battle which we are certainly in but they feel like you know we can reclaim god's uh, earth and uh through through prayer and things like that which all is fine and good i'm, I'm an advocate of every one of those things but we're not going to stop what's coming you know, the Lord has already prophesied that the Antichrist will be here, that there will be uh, all the events of revelation. So it, it's 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 important that we realize that we're not preparing to go through it. We're we're trying to get people delivered from it. At least yeah. that's my desire with the gospel. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, are you referring to, I mean, obviously I think, I think COVID actually helped a, a lot of, you know, Christians sort of wake up um, to what you mentioned about media, certainly, and mm-hmm. how th- there's now sort of a really, not only a distrust of media, there's a distrust of government and people mm-hmm. are opening up, beginning to question those things. And that sort of opens the door to question other things as well. So yeah. I think I forget where I heard, but recently I was listening to a podcast that was talking about how, I think it was someone who'd been podcasting for a long time and they cover some conspiracy theories, maybe some fringe topics. And they said that they had always gotten resistance. Uh, and, and then said there was like a boom, like in the past couple of years, just a huge boom um, in, in viewers and listeners. And there was sort of a shift between um, this being fringe and sort of weird and, and people being very negative towards it to, to overwhelmingly positive. So uh, I think I think there there's sort of a, a turn recently, um, but I'm, are you referring to the rapture when you say uh, people being delivered from it? Absolutely, you know, because to me um, the scriptures is saying that our salvation. We, when we talk about being saved, you know, that that kind of means a broad thing to a lot of Christians. Hmm. So we're certainly saved from our sins. We have eternal life. We have forgiveness and all of that. But the the real definition of saved is deliverance from the coming wrath. So what a lot of times people don't really understand, or maybe it's just not preached this way, is that we've been delivered from the wrath to come. So the event of the rapture will take those that are alive and remain up to be caught up together with to meet the Lord in the air. And that is the the event that's going to have to occur before the wrath can begin to fall. Things will get bad, and we may go through a a great time of affliction or suffering, as the church always has uh, historically. But uh, these so-called seven days of tribulation are that which we've been delivered from. Uh, based upon the scriptures, but there's an Israel that God will deal with that is going to go through that time. And of course, the rest of the world will experience the wrath. So um, and God has prepared, you know, 144,000 Jewish people uh, to be a part of that, as well as his two witnesses. So it's uh, it's important that we understand that we, as the Gentile body of Christ, are not equipped to deal with that time of tribulation. So he's going to take us out of the way. And he's got a, another a group of people, another ministry altogether for the 144,000 to minister to Israel during that time. Mm. So, you know, from that viewpoint, what essentially, uh, as a watchman, what is kind of the next sort of thing you're looking for that's going to have to happen prior to that rapture, or is is there, you know, it, for you, is could this happen at any moment? Yeah, I, I do believe it could happen at any moment, and that's that's always been true. I mean, when you think about Paul writing in Romans, now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Uh, it, every day is another day of us closer to the day of God's redemption in the bodily form, you know, in, in the, the adoption, as he calls it, in Romans chapter eight. But um, as far as global events are concerned, we don't know precisely what is going to be the catalyst that's going to cause the rapture, other than we know there's going to be a trumpet sound, there's going to be the voice of the archangel, the shouting, and then we're going to, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. So what precedes that, the only thing that I can guess is potentially the battle of Gog and Magog, as outlined in Ezekiel 38 and 39. 
And um, I've uh, just completed a wonderful book written by Ryan Peterson called The Final Nephilim. Mm. Uh, if your listeners are not aware of that one, uh, I cannot tell you what a blessing it would be to read it. Uh, but in there, he lays out a number of things, uh, but he talks about the uh, that Ezekiel 38 and 39 have been um, uh, historically misunderstood because 39 is actually first and 38 is later at the end of the thousand year reign of Christ. Your listeners might know that when Jesus comes back and he establishes his throne, Satan is bound in a chain for a thousand years. Mm -hmm. And it's at the end of that thousand years that he's loose for a little season. And there's a battle of Gog and Magog against the, uh, the, the believers in Christ at that time. But there's an assault that he does, uh, the, the Gog being the, uh, the a demonic spirit that inhabits a particular king or whatever. And uh, that assault in Ezekiel 39 transpires, uh, transpires before Christ comes back. So it is very possible that the rapture is going to happen either right before, during, or right after that, because there is a point in that passage, uh, in that chapter uh, 39 of Ezekiel, where this confederation of nations attacks Israel, uh, God intervenes supernaturally, if I may use the word, uh, although with him, everything is natural, <laughs> uh, you know, but um, when he does, he says that he will uh, turn them back, the, the, the armies of Magog, uh, that uh, one sixth will remain alive. And that he says, from that point forward, Israel will know that I'm their God and they are my people. So it seems to be the marking of when God is going to end the silence mm -hmm. that he decreed back in Hosea chapter five, when he said, I'll go return to my place, verse 15, until they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. So God has hidden his face from Israel nationally, not from any individual, because right now salvation is based on an individual's trust in Christ. Right. Jew, Gentile, male, female, doesn't matter. But there was a national program being offered when Jesus was alive at first, and the nation rejected that offer. You know, they rejected the kingdom, they rejected the king. So as a result of that, God has hidden his face from them until they acknowledge the offense. And so this seems to be an event that would be great affliction if Gog attacks and they turn back to God and he then acknowledges them. They've made their confession. I will now acknowledge them as my people again. And if he's going to acknowledge Israel as a people again from that point forward, then this dispensation of grace would have had to have ended because our message of grace right now that saves men is not the same message that will be taught during the seven years of tribulation. Yeah. Uh, in fact, that's going to be more akin to what the 12 were preaching to Israel before Christ died. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, so I got some questions there. And for the listener, um, you actually had Ryan Peterson on to talk about the final Nephilim. And I know you actually had him on your show as well, because I listened to that interview. Yeah. Um, oh, great. Great. Yeah. So um, you guys can check that out if, if you're interested. But, uh, you know, I think that that is very interesting because uh, that view on Ezekiel 38 and 39 really answers uh, some questions because we see uh, Gog and Magog actually mentioned in Revelation 20. It's not mm -hmm. directly mentioned in 19, but there's it's clearly alluded to. And so uh, it's interesting to see, you know, if you, I think a lot of people read 38 and 39 really as one um one battle but it's yeah like, like one continuation starting in 38 which i always did too and it baffled me samuel to be honest yeah. with you 
Yeah. Yeah. And this <laughs> answer that, that, that question, because it is, it is baffling, but if you split that up, then, then that makes a, that gives a nice solution for EC2 um, yeah. revelation. So. And what always puzzled me and what Ryan helped clear up for me, and I count him as such a dear brother because um, he, he's given me a lot of his time uh, uh, to uh, to share on, on my podcast as well. And we're very, we're very like-minded on a lot of topics, but I never considered this. And he really cleared up some things for me because in Ezekiel 38, when this, this army of Gog and Magog is, is first brought up, it says that he's going to go enter into the city that's brought uh, or to the uh, to the nation that's brought back from the sword, living safely without walls. Yeah. And I always thought to myself, you know, even if that was modern day Israel, they don't live safely without walls. Right. You know, they, if we're going to say 1948 was the timing of, of the restoration of Israel, which I would argue may or may not be true. Something right. was definitely going on, but I don't know if that's the fulfillment of them returning to the land yet. But if we were going to argue that it was, where do we fit in the idea of them living safely without walls and villages? Because anybody that's been to Israel today knows they're surrounded by walls and checkpoints and guards and, you know, there's terrorist attacks. I mean, they're, they're not safe, you know, yeah. uh, they, they do as best job as they can with it, but clearly there's, there's a threat there. That's a constant uh, vigilance for them to, to be careful about. So uh, it never seemed to add up. And I always thought it in my mind, something's going to happen that's going to cause the threat to disappear over there and they will no longer have to worry about it and they won't have these walls and villages. But when you look at the modern world, I just couldn't, couldn't imagine how that would happen, but it would make perfect sense if it's during the end of the thousand year reign, because they've been living yeah. safely without walls and there's no war and they beat swords into plowshares and all that stuff. So uh, it would make sense for God to attack a second time at the end of the thousand year reign. Sure. And so the, it's perfect. the two chapters are in reverse order. Yeah. Yeah. It fits perfect. Um, Geez, I lost my train of thought. I had a follow-up question on that. Um, Sorry, I probably spoke too much. <laughs> no, I'll, just, I'll just go back to the rapture. <laughs> no, I'll go back to the rapture because I know I had um, some questions on on the rapture. Um, so, so one, I want to go back to Second uh, Thessalonians. Um, you know, what do you mm -hmm. make of Paul saying that you know that there needs to be a falling away in the revealing of the man of sin? Um, do you see those things as? Because that's why I asked earlier. If there's something that needs to precede it, because I always read that as the two things that need to precede the rapture are the falling away and the man of sin. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with you. In fact, that chapter in Second Thessalonians two, um, when Paul writes to assure them that they had they were not in the day of, of Christ, right. because he's saying, "I beseech you by the coming of our Lord and our gathering together unto Him, that you not be soon shaken or troubled, as that the day of Christ is at hand." And I'm paraphrasing, but you get the idea that he's saying almost as if I could rewrite it, it would be like, let me can, let me assure you that you're not in the day of Christ because we're going to be gathered together to him before that happens. And he goes on to explain in that chapter, that revealing that you just mentioned, there's a falling away first and the man of sin would be revealed. The falling away uh, would, for me, coincide with the moment that the man who's going to be Antichrist will declare himself to be God. Uh, I believe it's going to coincide with him being killed with a sword, lying dead, and being resurrected the third day by the power of the dragon or Satan. Right. And at that point, he becomes uh, the beast. And when he rises up, it's going to be such a miraculous thing for the world to witness 
it's going to be easy for him to deceive them and convince them that he's a god. And so they, that's when they'll take his mark and everything else. So at the moment that Israel in particular uh, says he's God, because the Bible says only one third of Israel will believe and two thirds will be destroyed. So two thirds are going to be caught up in the falling away. And the falling away to me is acknowledging that Antichrist is God and taking his mark, rejecting Messiah for the Antichrist. And we are the thing, as he goes on to explain, that now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. So the revealing of the Antichrist can't happen until, A, the body of Christ is taken out of the way. We're holding back his revealing. So first we go, then you could say, the clock starts. And the clock for me would be Daniel's 70 weeks of Daniel chapter 9. So if, if your listeners might be familiar with that, there was a prophecy given to the prophet Daniel by an angel that there would be 70 weeks determined from the beginning of Jerusalem being rebuilt, which happened by decree of Cyrus, the Persian king, in roughly 450 BC, until all things were fulfilled. And the 70 weeks were weeks of years. So a year can be, uh, a week can be seven of anything. In this case, it was seven years. So that means, uh, and he goes on to say that at the end of 69 weeks, Messiah would be cut off. So we can conclude that if we multiply 70 times seven, we get 490 years. And 69 of those weeks, or 483 of the 490 years, uh, culminated in the death of Jesus Christ at Calvary. And then the clock stopped. And the final seven years, or the last week, didn't happen immediately. There's been a 2,000-year gap in time. And that clock will start again, apparently, either the moment the rapture takes place or the moment Gog and Magog invade the mountains of Israel. Hmm. And then those final seven years will play out. And it's in the middle of that seven years or the middle of the week that Antichrist declares himself to be God. And that's the falling away. Hmm. Okay. So, hmm, so now I'm confused because um, if those two things have to precede the rapture, um, and you're saying that we're being raptured seven years. No, the rapture or the Gog and Magog would precede the beginning of the seven years, not precede the rapture. The rapture will be one of the events that would have to happen before the clock starts of the right. seven years. Right. But you're saying that that falling away is going to happen in the middle of the seven years. I believe so. I gotcha. So, so yeah. when you when you read what Paul is saying, he's saying those really those those two things aren't really preceding the rapture then. That's right. Those two things that Paul is saying, the falling away first and the man of sin be revealed, is going to be the falling away reveals him. Everybody claims, taking his mark and claiming he's God is the revealing of who the man of sin is. But what's holding him back is the body of Christ, the church in the world today. Hmm. So we lead first. So in effect, if the rapture were to happen tonight, then the, the falling away would be three and a half years later. His passage is not saying the rapture happens and then immediately there's a falling away. It's the rapture has to happen first. And then now it's possible there could be a mid-tribulation rapture. Some people teach that, you know, but I don't see it as happening because there's going to be wrath. There's going to be things going on in the first three and a half years that would seem to be um, 
implausible or at the very least impractical for the body, the church to be here. Because if there's 144,000 Jews that are saved, sealed with the, with the mark of God. And if uh, I believe Moses and Elijah are the two witnesses that return in uh, revelation 11, um, the two candlesticks, if they have a ministry of three and a half years and they do 42 months uh, before they are finally killed. At least Moses and Elijah for sure are killed. I'm not sure about the 144,000. They may have their own rapture or they may be martyred, but either way, um, if they have a ministry for three and a half years and we are still here, we're preaching a contrary message. Because our message is salvation is by grace through faith. God is not imputing trespasses. Their message is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand because the wrath is coming. And he's no longer not imputing trespasses. He's imputing trespasses. You know, when he comes back, he's holding men accountable for their wicked deeds. And he judges them in the wrath. So the two messages would would be contradictory to one another. So you so you read this falling away for Israel, not for not not for the church then. Not for the church, yeah. The church is taken out of the way. Israel, and, and so when we talk about the church, we can we can define it as um, the church of the dispensation of grace in which we live now. But there's going to be a believing Israel that is a church too, you know, right. in the time of tribulation. So there are going to be uh, when Christ talked about the parable of the tares among the wheat, and we know that the tares look just like wheat until it bore fruit, then it seems to be that there's going to be a lot of false brethren amongst that church. Call it the tribulation church, call it the kingdom church, whatever you want to call it, as just differentiated between us right now. Two folds of the same ultimate flock, but divided by some time. Yeah. Um, All right. So my my next question, you mentioned... um... Israel rejecting the kingdoms. When when Christ was preaching the kingdom, the kingdom has come. Do you see mm-hmm. that as essentially being paused at, at some point, and and that uh, that being the, the beginning of the dispensation that we're in now? I really do. Uh, and and what's interesting is, so Christ preached openly, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In fact, John the Baptist started that message six months before Jesus did. And then he commissioned the 12 to preach that same message. And in Matthew chapter um, uh, 10, uh, he sent the 12 out and commanded them to preach that message only to Israel. He told them in verse five, six and seven, don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the Samaritans. So their message was a message of kingdom offer to the nation. And if they would receive it, Christ would be the king and they could have the kingdom that they've been longing for all these many centuries. Well, um, at some point, as Christ was preaching openly in the book of Matthew, uh, in chapter 12, he was accused of casting out a devil by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And when when they accused him of that, he gave them a lecture about blasphemy. Your your listeners might recall this. And he said it would not be forgiven, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Okay, Okay. it's a blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. He said, you can speak against me, but not against the Holy Ghost. So in the very next chapter, Matthew 13, he begins to speak in parables. Mm -hmm. And a lot of Christian preaching over the centuries has been to say Jesus spoke in parables to amplify or illustrate the point. 
But that's not true. He spoke in parables to hide the truth. So what happened was he began to talk about the sower in the, in the field and the seed. And then when he finished the parable, the 12 asked him, why are you speaking in parables? And at that point, he said, because unto you, you 12, it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but unto them it is not given. So at that point, the, the, the preaching went into mystery form, and he spoke in parables and never spoke openly or, or plainly again. And when he did speak a parable, he would give the key or the interpretation to the 12 privately. Yeah, hmm. yeah that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... So I want to go back to uh, just, the, just the podcast in general um, and, and ask you, because um, I, I want to kind of maybe get into some of these conspiratorial topics that uh, mm -hmm. you touch on. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, just doing the podcast, <clears throat> what has surprised you and what have you learned? you have any uh, guests that you want to have on? Um, any topics that, um, that, that you want to hit or topics that you know you don't want to touch? It's kind of a very broad well, question, I but... Yeah, I'm willing to talk about anything. I've already had some of my videos removed from YouTube. Oh, really? Because, yeah, they say that I violate their medical community standards. But, mm, um, yeah. you know, uh, and, and if, the, the irony of that was uh, one of the videos that they said that was I never mentioned anything about the current uh, pandemic or poke or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I was talking about is it possible that in the with the mark of the beast is going to be an injection of some kind that will genetically change you from being human to being hybrid. And they took that down for them. Yeah. And they took that down saying it violated their COVID policies. So that makes me wonder why would they think the injection of the mark of the beast would be tied to COVID? <laughs> showing their hand right there. That's bizarre. I felt like they were. I it felt like legitimacy to what you're saying. Exactly. So to me, the satanic global elite owns all these platforms. We're just using their weapons against them, you know, mm. you know, for as long as we can. So I am I am willing to talk about anything uh, I've read. Uh, there's two guests I would love to have on my show uh, that recently have written some books that I thought were very intriguing. One is Timothy Alberino, mm. and he wrote the book Birthright, yeah. where he contends that um, the uh, that of course God created the uh, gave the earth to the children of men, yeah. and uh, and He says so in the Psalms, I think one fifteen. God is in heaven, but the earth has He given to the children of men, and therefore uh, Satan does not have title deed to the planet, but he wants it. And so I surmise from that, and one of the things I want to interview him about is is it possible that the current. Um, political events are all designed to transfer as much wealth as possible from the middle class 80%, whoever we are called, to the 1%, so that they in turn can basically own enough property to grant title deed to the Antichrist. Because mm -hmm. Satan himself can't come down and inhabit the earth without being able to claim some legal title to it. You know, He's limited in the way he was, for example, in the days of Job when God said, you can do this, but you can't go any further. Hmm. So to me, he's going to try to make the legal claim that, hey, the humanity granted me the title deed. Now I can lay claim to it. And that's when the Antichrist will appear. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I read that. Uh, I read his book. Um, yeah. He's He's got a different perspective. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, Very much so. Yeah, especially when he talked about aliens. That was that threw me for a loop. Yes. 
Yes, yeah. that was uh, that was my favorite chapter in yeah. the book, and it actually caused me to, because I heard him interview and he, he recommended you know some of the books that you'll find in his footnotes, uh, research that he did, and I, I think I think he has some personal experience with that as as well uh, as far as interviewing people that have been abducted, but. Uh, mm -hmm. it caused me to, to to go back and and read some actual books on abductions, because um, he has a different. Yeah, it, he really has a different take, and I never considered that perspective. I always considered um, aliens to be something of you know uh, um, angelic imposters of some kind, but he posits a, a possibility that that's not the case. Yeah. And then um, another book that's really good that I recently read was written by an author, Dr. Laura Sanger, and it's called The Roots of the Federal Reserve. And on the surface, you think it's about monetary policy, but she actually goes into the whole thing about the Nephilim being the uh, original originators of what ultimately has become the Federal Reserve, which is really the mechanism by which the satanic global leader controlling all the money. So it always keeps tying back to the same thing, uh, control of the wealth of the world so that people have no choice if they're going to if you're going to say you can't buy or sell without taking the mark you know some one individual has to have enough power to control the financial system of the world and i think we saw a means test with that with vaccines and and vaccine cards and you can't come to the store unless you've been vaccinated or have a mask or you can't go to the concert you know we're seeing little it's like the, the elite is coming out of the closet and they're means testing this as if to say yep they're ready humanity is ready for this so i i want to have her on too yeah i think i've heard i heard her interview on blurry creatures podcast yeah that's where i first heard it too okay cool yeah so she had um yeah she had a few things to say that uh is pretty hair raising um yep. looks like she did a research as far as tying nephilim uh to to today, uh, I guess the bloodline, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, it, it's a fascinating read, and it's very well uh, documented. And she might reach some conclusions that I might uh, want to discuss with her. But I felt like her um, her research and uh, annotations are impeccable. Wow, wow, yeah, maybe I'll have to pick that up and, and check yeah. it out. Um, your recommends is actually from our last episode. Actually, um, you introduced me to Ryan Peterson. Actually. Um, and uh, I hadn't read a, read his book before that, and uh, I think Randy Alicorn's uh, book on heaven as well. I know you did like a seven part series on heaven. Um, yeah. So so yeah, that, that was a fantastic book, by the way. Really fa um, phenomenal. Yeah. So. Um. Cool. Yeah. I, uh, I lost my train of thought again, but I, I was going to kind of I wanted to get into, um, sort of the agenda twenty thirty, um, and you know you kind of mentioned. COVID and them showing their hands. I think that's where I was going with that is that, you know, right. I think when I first started hearing about the new world order, you know, we know that, that there's going, that there's a plan. Um, you know, we kind of saw it with, with George Bush senior talk about new world order, yeah. um, you know, from, from his office as president. And, you know, you hear it just kind of mentioned and trickled, you know, from different world leaders um, ever since then, but that almost seemed like it was the introduction um to the world to this concept and just this you know with the un um being global has is becoming more and more mainstream and when i first heard about it it seemed like well you know how are we how are we going to get from from where we are to this one world government and i think that's as you mentioned we're really starting to see that and it was weird um 
I forget who it was. Maybe it was JFK or either it might have been Ronald Reagan that talked about an alien threat could be something that could unite the world. Um, and here we go. That we have might have been Eisenhower. Hmm. Regardless, have, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like we're seeing that with with COVID. Is it's um, it's something that it's a world issue, and mm. they're addressing it as such. And so we're we're sort of being introduced to this concept of being a, a global community. And so we you know we can see it sort of leading that way to where. Yeah to where if there's a global issue, then we need a global leader to, to solve this issue. Um, oh, no, no doubt about it. The, the, the global, cause when you think about the, the pandemic, right, which is a global thing, um, every nation fell under the guidelines, if you will, of whoever was manipulating this thing, um, whether it was the U S or Russia or China or Australia or Canada, it, it didn't matter. Uh, they all did this, which tells you that there's a power higher than those nations, top leaders that's dictating what's going on. And um, what's interesting about that is, you know, I firmly believe that and this is this is something I brought up not too long ago in one of our episodes on Bible mysteries. Just as men fight with each other and vie for being the top dog of nations or companies or whatever, you know, politicians, I believe satanic angels do the same thing because we're just following their lead. You know, humanity is corrupted because of sin, but we certainly were taught uh, a lot of things that we have now from these angels. Mm. And so, in my opinion, for example, when in another instance, when Daniel was addressed by an angel, um, and I believe it's chapter 11 of the book of Daniel, uh, he said that he came with the moment he heard your words in prayer, he was sent, but he was detained for three weeks or 21 days because mm. he fought with the prince of Persia. Yeah. And it took him that long to get there. And then he gives him the message. And then he says, I go to return to fight with the prince of Persia. And lo, the prince of Grecia will come. So we know that this angel, Gabriel, was not fighting with a human prince. It would be no contest, you know. He was fighting with a satanic angel, a fallen prince, you know. Um, and But what's interesting is Persia had a prince and Greece had a prince. We'll call them an angel, a satanic angel. And the Persian Empire was conquered by Greece. So it would seem to me then when God said, Promotion doesn't come from the east or the west or the south. I build up, I put up, and I take down. You know, I set up and I put down. So even though Satan and his angels are vying for their own agendas, God is manipulating the whole thing. He's in control. He's not allowing Satan any more power than he's granting him, you know. Uh, and so I would think other angels are vying to be second in command or whatever you might want to call it, just like men do. So for me... That pattern was established, and there was a there was an angelic prince over Persia, an angelic prince over Greece, an angelic prince over Rome when they were eventually when Greece was conquered, and you could follow it through history: the Spanish Empire, the British Empire, and the American Empire. And we are an empire. You know, America is a hegemony. We're in so many hundreds of you know or whatever nations, our military bases. We are a military power. Uh, controlling the world right now. But I think America's satanic angel is about to be taken down hmm. and replaced by another one. 
which might be the angel that will be the, the second in command for the time of tribulation. And I don't know if it's a Russian Sino what, I don't know who's going to be that empire, but they're all bad. <laughs> you know, they're all satanic. There's not, it's not like one, Oh, let's let this nation take a, a chance at it for a while. Cause they're all going to be bad. But when, when that next empire comes, if this one should crumble, then it probably is going to be the empire that brings forth the 10 Kings of revelation. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly things, things have gotten very volatile. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so you did an episode on uh, agenda 2030. So let me just uh, ask you about that. Um, you know, for those that aren't familiar, what is it? And um, I guess we'll go from there. Yeah. So agenda 2030 is a, uh, is a plan by the world economic forum, which was a group that was started back in, it might have been as recently as the 1990s, but they may have roots back to 1973. And there's a number of organizations like them that are all satanic with their agenda, like the CFR, Council on Foreign Relations, the PNC, the Project for a New American Century. And then people have heard more conspiratorial sounding names like the Illuminati and what have you, Freemasons. You can go on and on with it. But ultimately, they're all cut from the same cloth, which is they're, they're power-hungry individuals uh, whose aim is to uh, put forth an agenda that ultimately is going to bring forth the, the ten kings that will give their power to the beast. So uh, it, it's been in the works for a long, long time. I, I would say you can go back to Adam Weishaupt in the 1700s with the forming of the Bavarian Illuminati and go from there. But if, if you really want to trace its roots back, it's all the way to Nimrod and the Tower of Babel, you know? Sure. So ultimately we're talking about a more recent organization that's headed by a man named Klaus Schwab, who is an, uh, he's either Austrian or Swiss, but um, he is purely one of these uh, satanic minions that is um, trying to bring about uh, they've been funding and putting in place individuals. We call them Rhodes scholars, but they're usually people that were trained by this forum to get in positions of power to bring forth their agenda. And their agenda is the elimination of the nation state, which incidentally is something God established. You know, the world was a one language and a one speech, and they were united at the Tower of Babel, and God confounded the languages, confined them to their coasts and borders, and nations were born from that, and languages. So God did that so they would seek the Lord. Well, when they unify into a single governance, as they did at the Tower of Babel, that only brings mischief. It brings the connection back to the fallen angels and the interbreeding that happened in Genesis 6. So um, their agenda is to eliminate the nation state, eliminate private property. He literally said in, in people will own nothing and be happy. And uh, they're using environmental agendas. Um, uh, they're using communism or socialism as the mechanism. And of course, war. And they're funding both sides. The, the banksters that control the world's money supply going all the way back to the Rothschilds. Uh, do uh, bet both sides against each other in wars. Uh, so whatever's going on in Ukraine right now with Russia, that's completely being controlled and funded by these people. Uh, and as far as I'm concerned, uh, Biden is as much a puppet of them as Putin is and Zelensky. There are no heroes. There are no good guys. You know, they're all demented, in my opinion. Uh, and uh, ultimately, what's going to happen is the furthering of this agenda. And so Schwab uh, made the statement when COVID hit, 
that this was an opportunity for what he called a great reset. Yeah. That this seems to be the catalyst, which I'm sure they planned, and they I call it the plandemic, uh, that this was a bioweapon that was all ready to go. And this was released just in time to see if the world would fall in fear before the knees of government, and they did. And so that must have indicated to the World Economic Forum and Agenda 2030 that the time is right to push for this. 2030 is the year. Yeah. that they want this agenda to be fulfilled. And I've, if you want me to get into that, I've got a theory about that year and how it ties to prophecy. So oh, really? I, yeah. I won't do that unless you want to do it. <laughs> no, yeah, let's hear it. Okay. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, well, go ahead. You know, go ahead. If you got something to share, because this might take just a minute here. No, I was just going to say, um, you know, you said you're going to do episodes on Great Reset. I know he's, he literally wrote the, a book called The Great Reset. And I just think it's bizarre that, that they just have the tenacity to not not only be out there with this with these just radical ideas um that they're willing to put a date on it uh that's yeah. that they're showing their hand i mean they're, they're not even uh in the shadows they're just right out front with it that's what i believe they're coming out of the shadows because the timing is right <clears throat> and the timing may be something that we can discern in the broadest sense, because I'm aware of the fact that we don't know the day or the hour that Jesus Christ is going to return. But he did give them things to discern the, the signs and the times, you know. So we mentioned earlier the dispensation of grace. And um, as far as I'm concerned, the prophetic clock of Daniel's 70 weeks stopped at the death of Jesus Christ. And when he rose again, Actually, it was within the next um, few months that the 12 preached their message to Israel after Pentecost. And so that year ended, the year that Jesus was crucified in the Passover, which was the first month, the 14th day of the month. So the year had just begun of the last year of that 69-week prophecy, skipping the 70th week. <clears throat> so you could say it was year 483 of the prophecy. And um, he died in the first two weeks of that year. So the year ended in the in the harvest for Israel, you know, the Hebrew, Hebrew calendar. Yeah. And that's the timing when Stephen was stoned to death. You might remember uh, Stephen in the in the scriptures. And it was um, immediately after that that Saul of Tarsus got saved on the road to Damascus and God changed him to Paul and sent him forth with the message that we now preach. Well, Stephen was stoned to death at the end of that year. And <clears throat> when he died, as they stoned him, he said, I see the Lord standing on God's right hand. And Jesus Christ was who he was talking about because mm -hmm. he had already ascended up to heaven, you know, 12 months earlier or whenever, whenever he ascended. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Now, later on, when Paul got saved and he wrote his epistles, he always writes of Jesus Christ seated at the right hand of God. So what's the difference between Jesus standing and Jesus sitting? Well, sitting, he's at rest. Standing, he's either getting ready to go or sit down. Sure. So, and <clears throat> it talks about that the Lord will stand to plead for his people. So I think that was the straw that broke the camel's back. He gave a parable about the fig tree that when he went to it, it had no fruit. And uh, he said, cut it down. Why, why let it take up the ground? And the, 
And the husbandman said, let me leave it alone this year also. And I'll dig about it and I'll dung it to fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, and if not, cut it down. And I think that was a picture of Israel getting another opportunity after they rejected Messiah. The 12 preached him and they said, the one you crucified, he's the Christ. He's the king. And while many did believe, the nation didn't turn. And ultimately they were destroyed. You know, the Titus, the Roman general came in in 70 AD and burned the city to the ground and they were all carried away captive. And they've not been a people since. Hmm. So Earlier, we talked about Hosea 5.15, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. And I believe that's literally the words of Jesus Christ in prophecy. Hey, they didn't want me as king, then I'll go back to the Father, and I'm going to sit down until they acknowledge their offense. Mm. And what's really interesting is in the next chapter in Hosea, chapter 6, verse 1, it's as though Israel is responding to that. And they say... In verse one, come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn and he will heal us because they were scattered. He hath smitten and he will bind us up. After two days, will he revive us? In the third day, he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. After two days. Now, Jesus said to Peter, a day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day in 2 Peter 3, 8. So I take that as a possible formula of understanding prophecy. If a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and you think about it, God created heaven and earth in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. There's been 6,000 years of human history from Adam to today. And the seventh thousand year period will begin soon, and that's the Sabbath or the day of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So we put all that together, and is it possible that the two days of Hosea chapter 6 are 2,000 years? And so we answer that question by asking this, is it possible Jesus Christ was crucified at 33 years old? So that's roughly 33 AD. 2033 would be literally 2,000 years later from the day he was rejected and the clock stopped. Okay, so if the final seven years is to resume until the day he comes back and we don't know the day. Right. But if it was 2033 and we're just guessing just to play with numbers, that's all we're doing. Yeah. Then seven years prior to 2033 would be 2026, just four years away. All right. That the seven years would start. So it implies that possible. The rapture could happen in 2026 or shortly before that the 70th week of Daniel begins in 2026 and the middle of the week is after three and a half years that would place it in year 2030. Yeah. The year that the Antichrist declares himself to be God and the great falling away happens. So to me, agenda 2030 might coincide with the revealing of the Antichrist. Yeah. It's a really good thought. It's a really interesting um, sort of window of time because people yeah. – there's debate as far as when he was crucified, I think from like 28 pretty much to 33. A lot of people yeah. look at 33, some 32, some 30. Um, but yeah, what, what you laid out is it's a, it's compelling. Um, I, I read a book. Uh, I believe the author's name was uh, Daniel Speck, and he, uh, he wrote about 2030 and just – 
adding to what you mentioned about uh, Hosea's prophecy about the two days, he he brought a couple of things um, in the Gospels that I never really noticed uh, in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, the Good Samaritan left uh, two denarii or whatever whatever the currency was, which was two days like, wages, like, right? Yeah, yeah, it was a two two day like a two nights um, that he would be away <clears throat> before he would come back to check on him, um, and then wow, Lazarus. Um, when when Jesus got word of Lazarus, I believe he also wait he waited um, two days before he actually went um, to, to go. Uh, That's exciting to me. I I didn't add those two in my mind together. You have just immensely blessed me with uh, with some truth there, <laughs> Samuel. Thank you. I'm gonna search into that the two days because uh, I thought that might have been the only occurrence of it. But you've given me some great food for thought. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's probably even a couple more, but those are two that, that mm-hmm. just stuck in my brain. Yeah. Um, but he he mentioned a few of those. Um, but anyway, so yeah, that 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 is compelling. Um, there's all sorts of things. Um, yeah. That we could look at in that window of time. So it's 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 a really interesting kind of time we're in. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So, so we and it could just be that you know because there's been an agenda twenty. 20 or there's been other agendas, you know, yeah, yeah. but um, so, I mean, if we're wrong about the numbers and the timing of things, it doesn't mean the Bible's untrue. It just means I'm wrong, you know, yeah, but the Bible's still true, but it's just interesting to speculate that could these numbers be telling us something because it's something you said at the beginning that, that if I may rephrase it, because I'm trying to remember the way you put it, it was better, <laughs> but um, it's almost as though today I'm encountering more and more people that think this way than I've never in my, you know, we as Christians, we're united in Christ, but we have any number of disagreements theologically. And and they're not essential things. You know, we agree on the fundamentals. Christ died for sins. He was born of a virgin. He rose again the third day. He's the son of God. He's the word of God. You know, the Bible's the word of God. We don't disagree on those things, but we could sit down and have any number of discussions on areas where we might disagree and we can agree to disagree and still call each other brother and sister. Right. Sometimes people get violent about it, but there's no call for that because we're still, we're all brothers in Christ. So it doesn't matter. Uh, But I've never seen a time where I've been, it's almost like the Lord is trying to connect the dots for all of us. Yeah, it's not just me and you and Ryan and Laura and Timothy and Prophecy Watchers and Gary Stearman. Uh, you know, it's not just us. There's a lot of people out there. And I don't know if and I'm sure you do get listener feedback and I'm sure you're getting comments from people about, wow, I didn't know this was going on or, you know, you've really opened my eyes or whatever. There, there's a lot of commentary that we're getting about people that they don't I'm not hearing this in my church. You know, they're not talking about this. So it's almost as though just as the satanic global elite may be coming out of the shadows, so is God opening the eyes of a lot of Christian men and women to see some things and write about them and proclaim them to help us understand and process what's happening. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, certainly that's been the case for this podcast that we have uh, guests that, that you know couldn't differ more as far as eschatology go. I'd like to take mm-hmm. it all in because I think um, – you know, there's not really necessarily one system that I feel like checks all the boxes. Um, and so I like to hear what everyone has to say. And, yeah. uh, you know, just like you said, I think it's it's important to hear 
what everyone has to say, even if it's just to understand your view better or understand the weaknesses or the holes in your view. And you know, if you change your view, that, that that's great. But um, that's true. Iron yeah. sharpens iron. So if a person can disagree and show me or correct me, I want that. You know, yeah. I want to be shown. Oh, I may have heard in this passage and I always want to try to because I am more than willing. I've corrected so much bad doctrine I've had over the years, that's never going to stop, you know, I'm always going to find and discover new things. Yeah, yeah, but you're right. I mean, it's, um, you know, when it comes to prophecy, there's just endless amount of resources and, and people are just uh, thirsty for it because I, mm. I think we're we're there. I think we're in the time. So um, I, I think knowledge is increasing. Um, Amen. Hmm, so let me, I guess we'll switch gears a little bit. Um, I kind of wanted to, to, like I said, talk about uh, conspiracies. You've covered, I think, like MK Ultra, um, Project Bluebeam, um, recently uh, Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you know, you've touched on a few. Are, are there are there some more that you you want to uncover um, that you kind of have planned? Yeah, you know, um, it, Project. Um, Blue Book, uh, I mean, um, Project Paperclip, rather, was one that was really fascinating for me because it involved the uh, the brain drain of German scientists after World War II and bringing them over. Uh, they were essentially war criminals, you know, Nazi Nazis. But um, their uh, technology was so advanced uh, when we it was by the grace of God, I guess, that we defeated Germany and the Nazis. But um, <clears throat> when they went in and began to go through all the research papers, our scientists couldn't understand them. They were so far ahead of us. And, and to me, there's a possibility that maybe they were getting um, extraterrestrial technological assistance mm -hmm. uh, in cooperation with Satan, because I believe that what they were up to was satanic. Yeah, but sure. um, but uh, it looks as though um, we had to import their their brain uh, trust there to understand these documents and these technical papers that they had and we're familiar with some of the famous names like Werner von braun and, and the he became the head of nasa uh which is an interesting story in itself but ultimately what happened was a lot of there were only like a, a handful of war criminals that were actually prosecuted and executed at the nuremberg trials the rest were exported to the united states and the soviet union yeah, and uh, some of the some of the, the the experiments done by men like Mengele, Joseph Mengele and others were psychological warfare that our CIA adopted. And they've been using it ever since. And that's how our media became wholly owned by the CIA. So that was a fascinating thing. And I'd love to dig more into that as as I as I can unearth some more information, because we're going to be talking about mind control. We hope to go more into that how Hollywood is being used to pollute the minds of, of our young people. Mm. Uh, monarch programming, which has to do with, it's mm. part of those mind control um, um, experiments that were done in Germany, but essentially they groom young people to become uh, essentially um, slaves. Uh, um, they, they alter their personas and, um, I think uh, the term is beta kittens for females. I don't know what they call the males, but they essentially brainwash them and abuse them as children to become, to groom them, to become these beta kittens like uh, Britney Spears or something, you know? Yeah. And you're seeing the breakdown of Amanda Bynes, uh, who kind of, they kind of lost some of their marbles uh, because of this abuse. Um, 
I, I want to dig more into Pizzagate and because I know there's a child sex trafficking ring going on and it is all the governments and ours included. It's and Disney is starting to play the show their hand about that, too, by the way. Hmm. You know, if you read the news and you find out what the, the Disney world or whatever, they're they're totally on board with hiding their agenda about teaching young children uh, about sexual deviancy and grooming them for pedophiles. So I think they're, that's all tying in somehow. Um, people have asked me to do episodes about deja vu, mm. uh, about time travel. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> um, let's see. There's a lot of requests for this thing about the Mandela effect. And I don't see it as that big of a deal, but I guess I'm going to have to do some research. Yeah. And the Bermuda Triangle uh, was one that I kept getting a lot of requests. So I really couldn't find anything um, that was clearly evidence. I mean, there's been no more uh, disappearances or accidents in that area than any other area of the world. Mm -hmm. So it was hard to come up with a thing. But but in um, Dr. Laura Sanger's book about the Federal Reserve, she goes through a whole thing about um, occult practices worldwide and something that she calls the ley lines. Hmm. which somehow these uh, uh, monolithic uh, things like Stonehenge and the pyramids and whatever, they, they transmit some sort of a dark energy, according to her, and they can form triangles. And maybe there is something. Uh, I don't know if it's the Bermuda Triangle is one of them, but maybe there is something about an yeah. area being prone to sort of satanic or occult control after many years of, of things being done, like in the land of Israel, she points out that when they, you know, worship the Moloch and they burn their children in the fire, the land was cursed because of it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So she kind of talked about curses and ley lines. It's really interesting. Yeah. Tom Horn has written a book about portals that really blew my mind. It was something that when I, when I first read it, it was just overload for me. Um, hmm. I'll have to look that one up. Yeah, it's really good as far as covering, um, you know, research on on portals and he ties it to scripture is one of those things that once I read that book, it just really opened my eyes to how many times we see portals all throughout scripture um, and, and don't really think anything of it. And, and of course, when we, when we apply that to modern day, it just seems like science fiction. Um, but, you know, with the Christian worldview, biblical worldview, it's it's right there. I mean. It's, yeah. it's hard. It's, it's hard to deny. So, um, so yeah, that was that was one that I really enjoyed. And as far as the the Pizza Gate, um, Josh Peck. I don't know if you've heard of his documentary Silent Cry. He I may has, watch. He has a a package. If you buy it on Skywatch, it comes with uh, like extra content, and they have I think a a separate documentary just on Pizza Gate, and 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 boy oh boy, it's it's dark. Um, but they yeah. Uh, I forget, but I know that there there's an insider, and they they talk. They really really get into Pizzagate uh, exclusively. I might be able to send you that um, if you'd like. But it was one of those things. It's 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 pretty disgusting. But there's there's a lot of smoke there, a lot. Yeah. Any any links you can send, I'd appreciate. Um, yeah. One of the one of the things that kind of shocked me about that was from a website you may be aware of called the Vigilant Citizen, <clears throat> and in that site um, the um, whoever the uh, author is of that site uh, shows the symbology and the symbolism of the satanic global elite and how they 
relish in it. Mm-hmm. And so he traces a lot of symbolism, but he but he cover but he uncovers a lot about the pedophilia and the pizza gate through this uh Elefante person. You you've heard that name and and uh and he's actually uh, is it John or James? James Elefante. And uh he's he's the one that owns the Comet Pizza in Washington DC, but he is actually um related through marriage to the Rothschild family mm-hmm. and uh he has these um, paintings decorating a family restaurant that are made by women. And I, I cannot think of her name at the moment, but uh, the vigilant citizen has a whole section on her. She was one of these monarch programmed kids that was abused really? as a young person. And she has something like 17 different personalities now as a result of this abuse. And they all paint and they paint with very unique and, and distinctive styles. And they're all pictures and interpretations of the psychological and sexual abuse that she went through. And, and they're, they're vivid and they're graphic and they're horrifying, but uh, he was uh, having these hung in this restaurant. Yes. So uh, it just shows you the degree of depravity that Washington DC is a satanic cesspool. Mm. You know, I'm sorry. It's just, it's it's a sewer. And uh, unfortunately, people don't realize it. They just think it's, oh, well, business as usual politics. But the Pentagon, the White House, all of it, they're all involved. And you just look at the back of the dollar bill and you can see the, the hand of satanic influence in the Great Seal, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've seen some of those paintings that you referred to. It was it was in the, the content that I was describing that Josh Pick put together. And man, it, it's 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 disturbing. It is truly. Yeah. It's, it, it's hard to it's hard to watch. I mean, it really will, will, will shake you up. Um, it really is. He does a, a, this uh, author of the vigilant citizen dot com does a lot about the one I sign mm. rife through media. Mm. And it, if it was just a couple of, um, you know, models or actors or musicians, you know, doing this or whatever, you just think, well, it's artistic, but they they all do it. Oh, it's, it's everywhere. And there's there's got to be more to it, that, because if it's just them being creative, uh, well, it's been done thousands of times. Why beat a dead horse? It's so unoriginal now. It would just be ridiculous to say I'm being creative. So they must be doing it because it's a sign to let the other elites know I control this actor. I control this model. I control this singer they they belong to us and it's it's all part of their symbolism which goes all the way back to the, you know those ancient uh cryptic symbols of satanic occult yeah i forget actually i had one of my listeners that recommended this individual he he won a singing contest in australia i believe it's like their their version of america's got talent mm-hmm. and he he came he came forward with this uh as someone that w- was a part of it and he put together maybe like a three-hour documentary, and there was just slides of celebrities one after the other with the eye. And oh, yeah. the hidden hand was another thing. I didn't – I wasn't as familiar with that. Well, yeah, they, like they, the Napoleon thing they, in the vest. They yeah. hide it They hide it in their coat somewhere, uh, yeah. and it's just as prevalent as the eye. Um, yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. Anyway, um, yeah, so there's, there's absolutely – Absolutely, some to it. You know, it's one of those things. You just you want to peel back the onion. It's it's uh, it's eye opening. Yeah. Um. 
But anyway, Atlantis yeah. is another one too, by the way. The, the the lost continent of Atlantis, that's another request. Oh, yes. I guess I'll have to do something about that soon. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So I, I've done an episode on time travel. It's a, it's a, it's a concept that uh, I really love. I've listened to, you know, Coast to Coast, they cover deja vu. And that just seems like that's one of those things that there's so many different theories and, yeah. you know, it's it, no one really knows or whatever, but it, it's a fascinating topic for sure. Um mm. I think uh, I was going to say, as far as the monarch, I think I heard somewhere that uh, Stranger Things on Netflix would they they sort of based that that character, you know, with the I forget what the lab is called, but wherever Eleven is, yeah, they they sort of built that off of the monarch. Absolutely, that's a Seven, I think, is her name or uh, Eleven. Girl. Yeah, because like, they name them and they, they number the children, yeah. but it's it's what you described. They had the children, and she, you know, remote viewing and doing all sorts of other things. Um, Absolutely. That's all part of the, you know, remove them from their parents and abuse them, but become a father figure of some form. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's sick. It's really sick. Yeah. It's wild. Um, yeah. The, as far as the, uh, what did you mention? It was the, uh, the Mandela effect. Oh, the, the Mandela effect. Yeah. yeah. I get asked that every time I'm on a show, what do you know about the Mandela effect? <laughs> I mean, isn't that just confusing one thing for another? People obsess I mean, about like, it, and I feel like it's just completely fluff. Me personally, yeah, I don't, I don't buy and, into it at all. And, and the same thing about flat Earth. And I don't mean to disrespect anybody, but I just, yeah. I don't see the point of that. There, there's, if if that was the great satanic deception, in what way does that give Satan an advantage? You know, no, to no. to deny there's a God, to teach evolution. I get that. You know, all of that is deception, but whether the earth is flat or not, how, what difference does it make? And I don't believe it's flat. You know, I think it's it's the the science they try to use is so ridiculous uh, to prove it that I have to I just have to say it's you're barking up the wrong tree, you know, but I respect the people for looking into it. At least they're trying to keep an open mind and and they're trying to be um, uh, investigative. But don't believe everything you see on YouTube, you know. Yeah. yeah and if you get yourself in a funnel, you know, you can get to where like some of this like, oh, kind of, yeah. oh, OK, whatever, whatever. The thing that really gets me about Flat Earth, I mean, you, there's a there's a lot that you feel like you could sort of just blow it open. But um, it just seems obvious to me that you there's there's an end there's there's a, a drop-off point yeah so yeah it, it seems like you could so easily prove that that that's yeah. the thing that's bizarre they're going to all these great lanes if if, it, if this earl is earth is flat let's just go to the edge and just oh, sail to the end and you'll drop <laughs> off the earth I show mean, us the drop off i mean we're like just let's let's see it let's get on camera well i think the way they get around that is so antarctica is just a circular rim of ice around the edge mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's frozen so no matter which direction you sail you're going to hit antarctica and you can't go right. past that. So, but that's mm. a, that's a convenient thing to say. So that okay, so now we can't prove our point. So therefore, we must be right. <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, I never heard that. Yeah. And I, I know they have like I've heard the Pac Man where it's like you just it's a portal essentially where you you wind up on the other side. Um, yeah. It, it's, <laughs> I've heard that one, but that's yeah, pretty. Yeah. You don't actually drop off. You just you wind up on the other side like like Pac Man. <laughs> um. Anyway, um, but uh. But yeah, I think I'm actually I'm actually going to do my first uh, episode on a, on a conspiracy uh, coming up here in a few weeks. So, okay, um, yeah, it, it's a it's a fascinating thing. But uh, let me think. Um, yeah, I'm looking. I, I think I've got one more 
uh, question I want to bring out, and this is a recent episode that you did that just I thought was like extremely fascinating for me. This is one of those little, this is a, a Bible mystery, and I, I loved it. And so I want you to talk about uh, the cross of Jesus Christ, and, mm. and, and, and I'll just leave it there and let you take it from there. Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, a lot of people think of the cross as the typical cross because we wear these crosses and uh, we see the, the iconography everywhere of a T-shaped cross and that that's how he was crucified. And, and that is certainly one of the mechanisms that the Roman government used for crucifixion, you know, a cross being nailed to a pole. We'll call it that. Um, they use more than one method, though. And um, uh, in some cases, the crosses were literally X's and they were crucified almost splayed, you know, mm. as you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, in some cases, they literally just hanged them on a tree. And uh, there, there were others, but uh, that's that's sufficient to, to make the point that crucifixion wasn't always there was no monopoly on the way they did it. Yeah. Um, and so if you think about Roman invention and Roman cruelty, you know, they're going to do things as cost effectively and as easily as they can. Uh, they were masters at that, you know, building roads, building aqueducts, all that stuff. They found the ways to do things best. So um, if we're going to talk about Jesus Christ being crucified on numerous occasions in the scripture, it says he was nailed to a tree, nailed to a tree. So um, I think that there's a reason to believe and I truly believe that he was, in fact, nailed to a tree because a cross is not a tree. Yeah. And the Bible says that he was nailed because uh, in Galatians, he took on our sin for us because cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And so Paul explained that doctrinally and legally speaking, Jesus Christ, who himself knew no sin, bore our sin on the cross because he was nailed to the tree and he became a curse for us that we might receive his righteousness. So it made me wonder and think, well, was he actually crucified on a tree? And then we have this image of the two thieves crucified on either side of him. And therefore we see three crosses and many churches even have in their displays up, up front, you know, three crosses, the one in the middle being taller, yeah. uh, which is supposed to be Jesus's cross. But what if he was in fact hanged on a tree? So that would mean that after they beat him uh, in under Pontius's uh, court, uh, they forced him to carry the uh, the cross beam on his shoulders because to to carry the entire cross after what he went through, he probably couldn't have physically even picked it up. Yeah. You know, it could have weighed well over 150 to 200, 300 pounds. Yeah. Uh, but the cross beam itself probably weighed in the nature of 70 pounds. And even then they had to compel another man to help him bear it, yeah. you know. So he bore the cross beam, as did the two malefactors, and they were nailed to a tree. And uh, it could have been a large enough tree that the circumference would allow for three men to be nailed if they staggered the height. You know, when you know, here's the tree, here's the cross beam here, there's one here, and there's one here, you know, yeah. if I use a, a rough analogy of my arm. Um, so we can envision a tree being large enough to maybe it was a dead tree, and they crucified any number of people there. And so it was used frequently. They could hoist up the cross beam with the, with the, uh, uh, the, the, the victim, on uh, and they, after nailing his hands, then they would hoist him up, which would have been exceedingly painful. And then uh, nailing his feet to the base of the tree or closer to the roots. Yeah. And what helps me besides the scripture that says he was nailed and hanged on a tree, uh, what helps me come to that conclusion is that 
it came to the point where because it was a holy day, the Jewish council that incited the mob to crucify him didn't want the bodies to be left on the cross um, during the Passover or the next holy day because, you know, it, they would languish for days. That was the whole point of crucifixion. It was very painful. So they went to break the legs of the crucified uh, thieves. And the, what that would do is they would no longer have the ability to push up to breathe on the stake or nail that went through their feet. So they would suffocate because the angle and the way they were crucified would have made it very difficult to breathe unless you pressed up. And the whole point of that, where that nail was placed in the feet was to pierce through to the sciatic nerve so that every time you pushed up to breathe, it was agonizingly painful. So you can see the Roman cruelty in that invention, yeah. but they broke the leg of one thief and then they went to break the leg of the other thief. It says, but when they went to Jesus, he was dead already. So if we picture the three crosses, as if I'm holding up three fingers with Jesus in the middle, what would be the point of starting here, breaking this guy's legs, skipping the middle and breaking the other guy's legs, and then coming back to the center? it would think you would go one, two, three, just like that, no matter which direction you start from. Yeah. And um, But it says that they were crucified on either side of him. So we know he was in the center of some juxtaposition. Yeah. Therefore, why save him for the last? Well, it would make sense if they went around the circumference of a tree. You could start with one thief, break his legs, go around the circumference to the next thief and break his legs, yeah. then come back around to Jesus. And he's the center between the two. Yeah. They're on either side of him, but he's the last one they come to. And therefore I think there's evidence to prove that he was in fact, not crucified on a T shaped pole and cross beam, but on a tree that had a cross beam hoisted up onto it. Yeah. And that sort of, I don't know if I've ever heard that before. Maybe I have, I don't, I, you know, but it's one of those things, the cross, the T-shaped cross is, you know, the the most central iconic symbol of Christianity. Yeah. You don't ever even question it, but it's strange because it, it blatantly just very clearly says tree in scripture. Yeah. Um, so it's it, to whom you crucified and slew on a tree. Uh, in in uh, Peter's address to to the um, Jews at Jerusalem, so um, it, it's just so funny that we, and you know, all my life I just sort of assumed, well, you know, um, a cross was made of wood, and wood comes from trees. So yeah. just my own little shortcut without thinking it through was, well, yeah, the woods are made of trees, but I play guitar and guitars are made of wood and I don't call my guitar a tree. Yeah. You know, if you swing a baseball bat, you're not swinging a tree, you're swinging a bat. It might be made of wood or aluminum, but, um, but he clearly did say in Acts chapter five, Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. So either the Bible's intentionally misleading us or he's trying to tell us something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It should, it just be a unless there's something we're totally missing. I don't know why we would refer to a wooden yeah. cross as a, as a tree. It just sure, and it's possible yeah. we were missing it. But I think it's very it's that both are true. The cross beam was hoisted onto the tree, and while the cross beam was probably made from wood, he was hanged on a tree. And hanged is the proper past tense for an execution. Uh, so we, today we would say after you hang a picture, it was hung. But you wouldn't say I hanged a picture. 
uh, because if you did that, you killed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're talking so about hang, passing yeah, the hanging. Yeah, either by yeah. a noose or by a cross, you were hanged. Yeah, yeah to hang. Yeah. Yeah, I gotcha. Hmm. Yeah, so I, I love that episode anyway. So for the listener, um, oh, want to hear more content like that, you know, check out Bible Mysteries. Um, anyway, so I, I'll invite you to kind of close with any closing thoughts and uh, you can wrap us up, uh, you know, tell us, you know, where people can listen to you and, and you can wrap us up in prayer. Absolutely. And thank you so much again, Samuel, for having me on. I was actually delighted to hear from you. Uh, and um, it's been my privilege. Yeah. Uh, UTBnow.com is our website. It's short for Unlock the Bible Now. That is the ministry. It's our blanket uh, nonprofit organization. Uh, but Bible Mysteries is the podcast, and we, we plan to do other ministries. I'm working on a book. Uh, I've been working on a book for some time, but since I also work another full-time job, it's hard to find time to, to write, but I plan to finish it one day, Lord willing. And uh, we also have the website and then we're on YouTube. So we have a YouTube channel, Bible Mysteries. And uh, but any, anything you want to learn about us, utbnow.com is easy to remember. So yeah. if you go to the website, you can find links to the podcast. You can subscribe to any podcast app. You can find links to the website. I mean, to the um, YouTube video channel. And uh, Lord willing, once we get the book done and, and published, we'll be letting you know we're on Facebook. Uh, we so do lives. What's the title, if I can ask, of the book? Uh, the working title right now is The World That Was. And we're going to talk oh, about okay, the gotcha. angelic civilization before man. Right on, right on. Yeah. For the listener, I'll put, I'll put the link to your site uh, in the show notes. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that would be great. So, yeah, you can pretty much find out. We, we do a Sunday morning uh, message uh, every Sunday on YouTube and Facebook. So if you look up Facebook Bible Mysteries or YouTube Bible Mysteries, you should be able to find us. There's other shows or other groups called Bible Mysteries. So you may have to put my name in there, Scott Mitchell, uh, when you search YouTube. But uh, on Facebook, it's pretty easy to find. And, uh, yeah, other than that, we are, are just uh, hopeful that people will enjoy what they're hearing and be edified. And the main reason we do this is because we do believe the time is short and we're trying to reach out to as many people to win them for Christ's sake, uh, to make sure that people have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, because he's the only hope that you have. So on that thought, if you don't mind, Samuel, we'll, I'll close this in prayer. Yeah. And I'll say one thing. I think, you know, I like what you're doing, too, because looking at something like conspiracies, you know, people outside of the church, non-believers can look at that and that can be an inroad. Um, yeah. To you know, if you can point to scripture. I think you're you're running in a lane that's very unique that you don't really see a, a whole lot of Christian platforms that are doing that. And so I think that um, uh, I think that's just really special. So um, yeah, thank you. That that is exactly the intent. We're trying to reach people that ordinarily maybe have never been to a church, never picked up a Bible, don't know much about the Lord but could be intrigued by the subject matter enough to listen. And then when they hear, oh, that's in the Bible. Yeah. That, yeah. Cause that's kind of how I came to a saving faith as a young person. And we can maybe talk about that another time, but uh, I was interested in the bizarre things of the world and not having been raised in a Christian home. I didn't know anything about God. And so something like that got me interested in the Bible. And as a result of that, I got saved. So uh, I felt like that's a, that was something the Lord was trying to tell me I could use. You wow, know? Right on. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, yeah, if, you're, if your listeners will join us, I'll just say, Heavenly Father, 
we are so grateful for the Weird Christian Podcast and Samuel and this ministry that he has. We're grateful for every listener that's listening today and or watching this. And we just thank you for the opportunity that we have to share this truth, uh, whether it's this show, whether it's Bible Mysteries or anybody else out there. We are all in unified in our desire to proclaim the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. If there is anybody within the sound of our voice tonight that has never trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior, our prayers that they would, that something we said would make them realize their need, uh, and that they would also come to see that they're not guaranteed another heartbeat, but they need Jesus Christ more than their next breath. And we pray they'll trust him as their Lord and Savior and be delivered from the coming wrath. And we just pray that you would continue to bless this show and it would continue to grow and reach people because we know there's an enemy that's trying to shut down voices of truth out there. So we ask your guidance, your watch and care over us. And we thank you and praise you for all mercy and grace. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, for whom we ask in his precious name. Amen. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you enjoyed. If you did, make sure to share this with somebody you know. Like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening on your favorite podcasting app, leave us a rating and review. You can email me at the Weird Christian Podcast at gmail.com. And with that being said, we'll catch you on the next one.